Well, good morning, DC United fans, and thanks for joining us on another episode here of Tried and True, the morning after show presented by Heineken 0.0. I'm pleased to, to welcome in friend of the show, James Lambert, this morning to join me, John Lee, to break down uh, last night's game versus Nashville SC. <laughs> DC United uh, coming back off the international break. Uh, big game at Audi Field, and well, it was a nil-nil draw, James, and good morning, and, and thanks for joining me. Yeah, I mean, thanks for having me. I mean, I'm happy to make my first appearance here after such an action-packed match, and there's lots of <laughs> lots of really to dig into today. Uh, but I'm happy to be here. Yeah, no, it's uh, it was certainly not the three points we needed last night. Uh, as DC United rolled out probably the best lineup they they could have last right. night. Uh, obviously, both of us were in Nashville the last time uh, these two teams played, and it sort of felt like we were hammered by injuries then as well. Yeah. I think um, the matches were very, very different, both in how they played out, but also I think the tactics. Um, this match, in a lot of ways, felt like 2020 DC United versus 2020 Nashville, um, in the in the way that how how negative Nashville played and and how we were toothless, I suppose, um, and 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 put there by some of our injuries. Yeah, you know, the biggest chance of the game happened what in the first ten minutes. Um, we- Ola Kamara hit hit the post and and really if you missed that you pretty much missed most of the scoring opportunities on the evening. Yeah, I mean they they claim we had a, we had a you know a um, a goal in uh, expected goals and I think there was that chance and there was the chance by Canals which was also uh, in the second half off the uh, header. But yes, it was oh, too right. far between. We just didn't generate very much, uh, and I think it was between smart tactics by Nashville. Um, but again, I think there's a a lot we could have done better probably to uh, put in ourselves in a better position. Yeah, let's take a quick look at the lineup for DC United last night. Hamid back in goal, who was obviously not available uh, the last time we saw Nashville, and, and uh, the, the Nashville fans very quickly learned John Kempen's name uh, after, after scoring five uh, in that game. So having Bill back, uh, as, as Michael would typically say, is, is good for a goal a game. Had a few saves uh, last night. I don't have the exact number in front of me. Um, but Hamid was back in net, obviously. Kevin Paredes, Donovan Pines, Stephen Burnbaum, and Andy Nahar, and Julian Gressel rounding out the back line. Junior uh, Moreno, Russell Canals, Nigel Roberta, Adrian Perez returns from injury, and Ola Kamara up top. So in terms of the lineup, I really thought this was about the best we could do, given the injuries to Paul Ariola, um, to Edison Flores, uh, and... and the, the several other injuries that this team is dealing with right now. Yeah, you already ran out. I, mean, I think the I, I agree with you. This is probably the best lineup we could have put out. And the one notable, I think, position is Roberta playing in that kind of half space um, position that you know Flores or Ariola would play in. And there was you know particularly focused on you know how he would do in that role. And I think he started actually somewhat brightly, but fell off uh, after the first fifteen minutes or so. And but everyone else, you know, starting in their their, their typical position. Yeah, and you know, for me, I think this this not only was sort of the best lineup, but we, we didn't really make any changes uh, until halftime, and the, the halftime changes were were interesting. Um, Andy Nahar and Adrian Perez both going down. Um, Perez, I wasn't as surprised about coming off the injury, managing forty five minutes. There were some concerns about Andy Nahar, and I'll be interested to hear uh, when we listen into last night's press conference if if that's something that Hernan Lasada addresses. Nahar, I believe, played in all three. Uh, qualifying games for Honduras, and there was some he concern did. that perhaps he picked up a knock last night. Um, and I certainly hope it's a knock, not a knock, because that he's he's one of the few uh, top top players we have healthy right now. Um, but yeah, he had played in three matches, including I think he went ninety on Wednesday for Honduras. Um, so it it could have just been a planned change. Um, whereas, as you said, like you know, Perez was both coming off injury and was was not sharp last night no. by any measure. Yeah, and we talk a little bit about Andy Nahar. I want to ask you, since you've been around DC United longer than our, our our normal crew has been, you know, with Nahar coming back this season, we had some healthy debate earlier in the season of, you know, what are we going to get from this guy? And I, obviously all four of us and most DC United fans, I think, have been very pleasantly surprised and over the moon with the player that Andy Nahar has been this season for the team. But I am curious sort of where your expectations were at the beginning of the season when DC United brought him back coming off of endless injuries. Um, you know, wh- what were you hoping for and and, uh, and and how would you describe the impact he's had on the squad? <laughs> um, 
I, I was very pessimistic. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. He's proven, proven me wrong. Uh, I, you know, I thought he was done. I thought that, you know, if he went to LAFC and they couldn't, you know, get him healthy and get him playing, um, that it, you know, it was worth taking a flyer. But we probably weren't going to see anything from him. And he's turned into a borderline best eleven defender. I mean, I think he's just been been wonderful. He, I think he may be our best player or most impactful player. Um, the whole year, he changes how we play. Um, I thought we saw this vividly demonstrated last night between the first half and the second. Yeah, um, he's just he's just been amazing for us. Um, and and I think uh, you know Matt Doyle from MLSsoccer.com had made the comment that like he doesn't know if in the history of MLS any you know center back um, has ever been played in a role like Nahar, where he's expected to carry so much of the play and able to you know, drive up field. Uh, so it's been amazing. Yeah, it, it was it was something that you know I, I was happy to see we were filling a roster spot. I think that's how I worded it, uh, which which tells yeah. you how, just how you know pessimistic I think we all were uh, about bringing him in. And I, I got to tell you, he's on the short list for for man of the season for me at least. Uh, the impact he's had on this squad has just been tremendous. Um, as, as we transition into the, the the second half, before we leave the first half, I I hate to do this. We don't do it often, but I have to bring up. Um, the officiating last night in the first half, there were a couple of shouts um, for it, it, at the bare minimum VAR checks on what could have been a clear and obvious error on a penalty um, committed by, I believe it was Dax McCarty. It ended up being awarded right outside the box. Um, it happened right in front of us, uh, and we didn't have too many good replays on it. The, the folks, our friends at Black and Red, who follow the game closely from the press box and, and were tweeting out, they, they thought it was a clear penalty and, and warranted a, a PK shout. Thoughts on uh, a sort of, I believe it was Ismail Elfast last night, his performance, and 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 was there anything that was missed if you had a chance to go back and look? Uh, I mean, I went back and tried to look, uh, but I was not able to. Unfortunately, I think this happens frequently where the MLS highlights package does not show like possible <laughs> penalty calls or really penalties like lead up to penalties, you know, quite frequently. Um, and I don't get NBC, NBC Sports Plus. I couldn't even record the the match to, to watch it live. I thought it was a penalty. I thought it was a foul that may have started outside the box, but then he got some separation and it happened again in the box. Um, and the play that was let run. Um, and I also thought the the play where there was a set piece and Birnbaum was just lit up in the air uh, yeah. by a defender who was not even really looking at the ball. Um, I thought that also could have been a penalty very easily because um, I thought Birnbaum was in a position to head it back across, but neither got looked at. Um, and without further evidence and being able to see, you know, maybe the explanation of of why you, those weren't calls. Um, you know, I, I don't have a lot, lot more to go on, but yeah, certainly live. I thought both could have probably warranted further review. Yeah, you know, it, it almost begs the question sometimes when we're when you have multiple, especially in one half, that don't get looked at, you, you kind of start talking to the folks around you like, so is VAR functional tonight? Or are they not looking at these yeah. because, you know, somebody clipped a wire and, like, we don't have the ability to go back and look? Um, but in the second half, it, it, it did look like there was a, a, a clear listening period on a potential a potential handball uh, at the other yeah, end. Yeah, I think there was two. I mean, I think the, the one that even took longer was after that scramble – where Canals had the really good luck, where the powerful header yeah. that Joe Willis saved. Roberta was kind of taken out by Dax McCarty in the scramble. Um, and they definitely looked at that. Um, I think we commented at the time, and that I was able to see on the replay, that I agree that of the three, seeing them, <laughs> that looked like the least serious of the, yeah. <laughs> of the infractions, yet that's the one they took the longest look at. Uh, or why, but... Uh, but yes, at least it seemed like it was functioning in the in the second half. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that's something that uh, that Pro goes back and kind of breaks down at all this week. They, I, it's actually a segment I haven't followed closely this year, which is probably probably means we've been uh, it, in better luck than perhaps we feel sometimes with with close or, or non calls. Uh, but they used to do a good segment where they'd break down a video review and why they did or didn't make a decision. So it'll be interesting to see if any of the any of the calls from last night's game sort of make that cut. Yeah, and I don't think the, those calls, while they may have looked wrong in real time, I don't think they were egregious. And th this came down to this. There's just not a match we did not create enough. It is a match that either team could have stolen a goal, um, but probably neither team deserved one <laughs> by yeah. their play. Um, 
and and so I'm not like steaming mad about the about the you know, about the calls in the field. No, I definitely don't think this was a game that was taken away from DC United uh, by any means. And and so as we shift into the second half, we talked a little bit about the substitutions that took place, uh, you know, right on halftime with uh, both Nahar and Perez exiting uh, in in favor of Joseph Mora and Chris Duyachim. And I, I was I was a little bit surprised that um, it, it was it was a very fluid formation. We had we had some healthy debate as to what was actually kind of rolled out there in the second half. Uh, to me, it looked a lot more like a four-man backline, but it was fluid. It was it was almost going into like five defending, but then four or two when they were trying to yeah. push forward. But they didn't create a ton offensively, and so it was kind of hard to see, you know, what it ended up really being. What, what, what were your take? Well, yeah, I mean, my take between the first half and the second half, I thought, you know, at least on paper, Nashville set up and matched us in kind of the three-five-two, but defensively in the first half to me it looked much more like almost a 5-1-3-1 defensively um with McCarty sitting very very deep so McCarty sitting right in front of the center backs right in front of Zimmerman the center center back and taking away the interplay kind of in zone 14 so he is his job is to not let you know Perez and Roberta come underneath and then Tanunga who is nominally a defensive midfielder was playing super super high and I thought was spying on Nahar in the first half and his job was to make sure Nahar did not carry play um and it seemed both halves that Nashville I think smartly was forcing Donovan Pines and Junior Moreno and Russell Knauss to carry play for DC United um and in that carried into the second half and I think that's one of the reasons I think you said that we saw this fluid formation is at both times, Canals and Moreno were clearly told to push much higher, um, which they needed to because they weren't taking that space in the first half. Um, but we just weren't playing fast enough, and I think that was a function of personnel. Yeah. Uh, I think that we weren't we weren't seeing those balls released quickly when the ball turned over, and that was, you know, frequently facing us with nine and ten men behind the ball for Nashville, and, and as you said, we weren't able to create much. Are there any changes that you may have made given the <laughs> the choices we had available on the bench to, to try to spark something? I obviously I was kind of calling for him last night for for a while, but I knew it would be very late when Ramon Avila came on, and, and he didn't come on until the eighty seventh minute. Um, and, and honestly, I don't think he made that much of a difference that late in the game, uh, not given a whole ton of time. But that's about it. I mean, Felipe was potentially the the most attacking remaining sub, or or Griffin Yao. Um, yeah, but that maybe was... yeah. The, there was not much on the bench. I mean, no. uh, I made the comment before the show that you know Yamil Assad did not make the bench, which does not bode well for his you know future at the club. Um, Moses Nyman also didn't make the bench, and those are players which could have at least you know offered possibly some solutions but yes yeah I, I i don't i don't think there was much we could have done given the players we have out there um once you pulled nahar to generate very much i think i i don't think i think that both teams their tactics were fine and um i i characterize this match a lot as the effort was there the tactics were there for dc but the talent just not and it, it's disappointing to see, um, but I mean, I think it's almost like a microcosm of the of the year in many ways um, when when coming up against good teams like Nashville. Yeah, and it, and it definitely opens some questions about sort of what DC United will do next as as they come into just an insanely busy uh, period coming up. Before we dive into the next couple games, uh, we we do have the recording of last night's uh, post game press conference with. Or non Lasada. So let's flip over there. Uh, we'll listen to what coaches had to say after the game, and uh, and, and we'll be back here in just a moment. Uh, yes, I, I can I can mention that Nashville is 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 a team with a lot of uh, draws. It's a team with a lot of draws. Team who who is always looking for a good defensive organization and. And it's a team hard to break. So knowing that, we knew that it was um, more a matter of um, 
efficiency. And if you see our chances, uh, and of course he also had the chances, but uh, after four or five minutes, Ola hit the, the post. And I think uh, on the second half, the, the chance with Russell is, is, is a huge chance. A free header, a half, uh, two yards from the goal. So you need to put those uh, opportunities in the back of the net if you want to win against a team like Nashville. But on the other hand, it's, it's a tough opponent. It's, it's a team who's always organized. It's very hard to break. And, and on the other hand, we, we didn't have too many options tonight. When you see uh, we are missing the only two DPs we have, we are missing uh, Jordi Reina, and that's about creativity. Um, Adrian Perez coming back from a long-term injury, uh, playing after three, almost four months. It's a lot of a lot of advantage um, compared with a team like like Nashville. So uh, we are not happy with the point. I'm not happy with the point, especially at home. We are always playing for to win, uh, but at the end, it's a point and we need to take it. Try to stay positive and and move forward to the next game that is coming in only a couple of days um, home uh, against New England. Thank you, Coach. We'll go to Steve Goff first. Hey, Ronan. Thanks for your time. Um, what uh, it seemed the uh, team was team was pushing and pushing, but it uh, it was a little bit of frustration trying to break down Nashville. What were some of the maybe some of the ideas or um, improvisation that uh, maybe you wanted to try to to, to crack them open? Well, based on our game plan, we never improvise because we are always trying the same things and we always have the same principles. But based on our starting lineup, yes, we are every single weekend improvising because I don't remember the two weekends in a row where we could play with the same uh, starting eleven. So that, that's, that's very frustrating. Um, and of course, coming from an international break, you know, uh, that the players uh, have a heavy program and a lot of trouble, but three out of five are coming back uh, hurt from 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 the the international break, and that's and that's bad for a team like us. Um, so playing with don't no DPs on the field, um, you need to start with Nigel Roberta, you need to start with Adrian Perez, uh, players who didn't get so many minutes because they have been missing. Um, games um, because of injuries and and it's always a gamble. It's always a 50-50 chance. It can go well, it can go wrong, but the organization is there, the principles are there, the, the mentality is always there, the players are giving everything what they have every single game, week in, week out. Um, I think we are in a spot uh, where based with the, they are comparing with the start of the season and comparing with the roster we have is is, is huge, is incredible, and still five games to go. And once again, I tell you, we will have nothing to lose. There is absolutely no pressure in this team who is overperforming and is, is, is doing great things with limited um, uh, resources. So happy with the point, no, but happy with the mindset of the team. That's, that's, that's always um, something to, to respect. We'll go back to Steve. Renan, this was the start of, of five games in 15 days. How, uh, how difficult is, do you foresee this being, uh, managing minutes and keeping people fresh and, and, and also you know, getting results that, that you're going to need? Yeah, I, I can manage because I don't have enough uh, numbers. Uh, and today, for example, many players who were on the bench, uh, they were not 100% fit. So they also had uh, limited minutes. Even players who started tonight, like Andy, like Nigel, like Adrian, uh, they all were players, even Kevin, who completed the game, but on paper was a player who was not able to play 90. So now the games are coming one after each other and, and I don't have enough players to rotate. So many players, will, we will have to go through fatigue. We will have to play... Uh, being tired, not being 100% recovered, and and it's, it's just about uh, uh, being tough, <laughs> being 
strong enough to survive and try to to get points, especially at home, knowing that that we are a, a good home team. That with our fans, we always can run the extra mile and and give something something more. So every point is going to count. It's going to be close and tight until the end. So uh, super positive because we are in a, in a spot where nobody believed um, before the start of the season. We're going to Moises. Profesor, buenas noches. Eh, estamos ya en lo que es esta recta final de la temporada eh, y se viene un rival, tal vez el bueno, el mejor equipo de la MLS a mitad de semana. ¿Cómo cambiar de chip para ese encuentro, ya que se vienen muchos partidos consecutivos? Sí, no tenemos opción. Hay que, hay que jugar todos los partidos que quedan y mañana descansaremos y entrenaremos pero haciendo recuperación, los chicos que hoy no jugaron entrenaron un poco más y luego el lunes podemos empezar a hablar de New England sí, New England es sin duda el mejor equipo del torneo, eh, basado en resultados basado en puntos eh, basado en la disponibilidad de jugadores que tienen, eh, tienen muchas opciones sobre todo en ataque es un equipo a respetar, pero un equipo al que se le puede ganar nosotros estoy convencido que podemos ganarle a cualquier equipo en esta liga. Ya hemos estado dos veces muy cerca cuando jugamos en New England, así que con mucha tranquilidad, eh, energía positiva y a disfrutar esta recta final que va a ser emocionante. Gracias, Mario Amaya. Hola, Hernán. Uh, quiero solo preguntar la de la importancia de, tener, de recuperar jugadores como Nigel Roberta y Adrián Pérez ya entrando en la recta final de la, de la temporada, especialmente, especialmente en, con cinco partidos ya en 15 días para terminar la temporada. ¿Qué, ¿Qué significa para el equipo tener a esos jugadores de regreso de recuperados de, de sus lesiones respectivas? Sí, están recuperados, pero no están 100% eh, físicamente como para poder jugar así que sí, los hemos recuperado pero eh, necesitan partido, necesitan tiempo para sentirse bien y no hay tiempo eh, así que obviamente contento de tenerlos pero eh, frustrado por saber que en, en cinco partidos termina el campeonato y este año muchos chicos se han perdido muchos partidos así que creo que es algo para analizar analizar nuestros perfiles físicos, analizar la manera en la que recuperamos a los jugadores, eh, la manera en la que trabajamos eh, fuera del campo y dentro del campo, porque eh, creo que no es normal eh, haber tenido eh, tantos jugadores que se han perdido tantos partidos y jugadores por los que el club está pagando muchísimo dinero, así que eh, es una evaluación que haremos al final del campeonato, pero en este momento eh, no queda otra cosa que pensar en el próximo rival que llega en tres días y, y mantener, eh, mantenerse positivo porque eh, todo es posible y está en nuestras manos. Coach, one more question. Back to Steve Goff. Aaron, I just want to check on um, what is Yamil Assad's status? He was not uh, part of the roster tonight. Coach, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's a clearly frustrated uh, Hernan Lasada there talking a little bit about, the, man, just the, the fixture congestion, the, the lack of quality roster depth that he's alluded to uh, throughout the season during these opportunities to, to talk with the press. And, yeah, he said it, three of five folks going out on international duty come back injured. That's not a great return with, with five games uh, coming in, what, 12 days? Yeah, I think – I don't think this was spin today. I think it was it was a very accurate characterization by Lasada. I mean, one, the mentality was there. You nearly doubled them up on duels. Um, the team was committed, but yeah, I, we don't have the bodies right now. And for the first time this week, I actually got concerned that I that we may not make the playoffs. And I think that's crazy. That, but for months, I felt like you know what, this team is good enough, and we will get back healthy. But the story of the season to me still is that again. Like, like Lusada said, mentality is there. It's committed. The tactics are there. Um, the roster depth, we didn't, we didn't make an attempt. And they didn't make an attempt at. 
I mean, it wasn't they even got it wrong. They just chose to take this year off in that regard and build towards the future. Um, but that's what may get us in the end. Yeah, and, and I think that's something that, you know, Lasada talks, he refers to that quite a bit, that, you know, he, he felt like coming into the season, we we knew we didn't have the depth to really make a run. I, he he kind of set our expectations early in the season to not even make the playoffs. And, and so to be here, I, I truly think he's genuine when he says, you know, this is, we're in a great position given the roster that we have. That's something that, that Sam brings up regularly when we're <laughs> largely frustrated about a result or about a tactic we rolled out, you know. It's it's very true. That's something Lasada said all season. Is you know we we're, this is this is the the year to build the the style for this team, kind of build the identity, and and hopefully this off season we're we're able to spend smartly, if not largely, uh, you know, on a couple of, of real playmakers to to position for the future. And it, I also think looking around the league, it's not surprising to see well established teams that have culture and depth like Seattle, now New England, uh, Kansas City in the West, doing well because they can bring on those players that understand their roles very well. And we're in year one of this this project and and not at that point. And the backloading of the schedule, like most poor MLS decisions, the ones that they get the most wrong are is only driven by business and was not driven by the sporting side at all. And all the managers are frustrated with it. Um, and, and rightfully so. I mean, I I fear that as a fan of the league that we're going to have, you know, several key stars injured for the playoffs because they will have had played, you know, six games in three weeks on the in the run up to the, the playoff period. And and all throughout the world, you know, with, with World Cup qualifying going on right now, the long travel periods, the and and. and you know, many guys we talked about, Andy Nahar being one of them that's, you know, putting in a lot of minutes in, in a tough CONCACAF qualifying region, um, flying all throughout the Americas, uh, you know, that, that adds to it as well. Yeah. And so I, I don't have much, I don't have much criticism. I mean, I'm disappointed, but disappointed in the same way I see, see from Osada again, like duels. We were good tonight. We were committed. We, we cut off all service into Mukhtar and Sapong. They were like, you look at their passing chart they're hanging out there by strings um we did what we wanted to i even thought we earned a lot of set pieces in dangerous areas um, against a team nashville who isn't very good on set pieces and i think one of the things we failed at is we were not very good at taking advantage of those um which could have made a difference in a match like this um, but i'm not sure we get what other buttons you could push in this situation other than like some of the players aren't quite good enough against some of these better teams um, to be the game changers that we need. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. You know, defensively, CJ Sapong uh, was was pretty quiet yesterday, and then that's that's abnormal uh, for him against DC United. He's right. one of those guys yeah, who's always, always scoring. <laughs> I mean, you know, he wasn't as clearly as in witness protection as Yamil Assad apparently is, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was... He, but he was very, very quiet. I mean, that, that was a burning quote. Wow. Um yeah. There's been some 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 fun banter between Stephen Goff and Hernan Lasada this year, but that that's definitely one of the better answers. Of yeah, he wasn't yeah. inside. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of press conferences, we'll hear from uh, Donovan Pines uh, real quickly here before we wrap things up uh, with this game and, and take a look at the crowded Eastern Conference standings. Donovan, um, season's getting short now, and and results all results are big. How do you? Um, how do you take this this draw at home? Is it satisfactory? Is it disappointing? Where where does it sit with with you and the rest of the guys? I mean, of course, like we don't you know we don't want to tie, we don't want to draw, but you know there's poor, still points on the table, so we're just gonna keep you know rolling with the punches and play every game like it's our final and try to get as many points as possible to put us into playoff contention. I'll go to Jose Umania. Hey Donovan. Um, Wanted to know a little bit of what was the game plan to prepare for CJ tonight. Uh, Hernan said he liked how you guys did well to maintain their pressure, but uh, what was the game plan coming into limiting uh, Sapon's chances today? Um, it was just, you know, communicating as much as we could. So when CJ would switch, you know, me and Steve would say, okay, you know, Don, you get this guy, you know, he covers. So honestly, we were just working in tandem and making sure that we kept tabs on um, Luktar and on CJ because those were the threat guys um, going forward. We'll go back to Steve Goff. 
Donovan, uh, how, how difficult or frustrating was it uh, trying to break down this, this Nashville team, which is just very organized, very disciplined, and, you know, would have, you know, obviously was happy getting a point on the road. What was, what was it like trying to, to get through all that? Yeah, it was tough. I think, um, you know, at times, uh, you know, we were, we were working it pretty well, but I think we were, you know, rushing it sometimes, but I think they were just, you know, a good cohesive side defensively. And, you know, that's why they're, you know, at the top of the table, that I think they're just a good defensive team overall, but, um, you know, we're going to keep, you know, working together and keep, you know, trying to figure out um, how to go forward and, you know, playing against these hard teams um, right now is helping us in the, in the long run for uh, this uh, last stretch of games. Go back to Jose Umania. Donovan, you kind of mentioned it there. This is the first of a stretch of five matches in 15 days. What's the mentality with you and the rest of the locker room heading into this stretch? Uh, Hernan said it. some of you guys may have to play fatigued, but you know, because of the lack of numbers, uh, what are you guys' mentality heading into this stretch? Um, I think we have, you know, open mentality. We have nothing to lose. I think we're just going to go out and just do whatever we can to, uh, you know, get as many points as possible. I mean, at this time, you know, it's, you know, kind of do or die. So we're going to play every game like it's our final, like what I said, and, you know, keep, uh, you know, digging deep and hopefully we can, you know, uh, get into the playoffs and win. That's it, Donnie. Thanks, man. All right, no problem. Take care, guys. Do or die, says DC United center back Donovan Pines about DC United's mentality over the next crazy stretch of games here, uh, five and 15 days. James, your takeaways from from Donovan's uh, press conference. Well, I mean, I always think Donovan. Donovan's a smart guy, so he doesn't give us much in press conferences. <laughs> um, but I, I think he um, – I, I liked a little bit of insight, again, into into how they were looking at Sapong and Mukhtar up top, and I think they did a good job of that in the match. Um, they know what they're up against. Uh, I do think it will be interesting when they say take it one match at a time. I'm really not sure from a management perspective if they can do that. I don't know if they have the bodies. And I think we probably need six or seven points to get in um, from here on out. And they may have to concentrate on some of the matches that they feel are winnable uh, versus the ones that they feel like they don't have as much chance in to, to get those points. And it's unfortunate that may have to be the case, but um, that's probably how I'd approach it. I yeah, and you know you're leading us right into where I want to go next. But before we do, let's let's put a bow on last night's game uh, by awarding our man of the match. The team did give one last night. It was Donovan Pines. Uh, it was one of his first man of the match performances of the season, if I'm recalling correctly, at least from the team's perspective. Um, for me, last night it it was tough. There were a lot of players I think who who were playing very well defensively, obviously shutting out a team like Nashville that didn't necessarily come in looking to take three points. Um, but but as we talked about, they, they do have some offensive threats, uh, especially against DC United. So one of the guys who really stuck out for me last night was Junior Moreno. Um, I, I thought he, he put in a really tough performance, made a lot of key tackles, a lot of key um, you know, interceptions. And so for me, uh, I'm going to go with Junior Moreno last night. Who do you got? And I'm going to go with Andy Nahar, who only played 45 minutes. So that tells you what I think about this match <laughs> in some ways. Um, I thought he was really the only player on the field you know, in our 90 minutes that was bright and that was looking to push play. Um, and his side was the more dangerous side in the in the first half. And his absence was glaring in the second. Um, I mean, it's a, you know, a little bit tongue-in-cheek to do that. But, I mean, I really do. I feel like he was the the only plus player on both sides of the ball last night um whereas you said there were a lot of plus players defensively and and not as many going yeah who, who scored would actually agree with the team we like to reference them every once in a while 8.1 score for for donovan pines that's one full point ahead of of the next best player on the pitch uh who was kevin paredes according to them last night uh and it's actually steven burnbaum was was a 7-2 and in harvard's a 7-1 so uh those are the highest ranked guys for the black and red and Dax McCarty was the highest for Nashville and, and Joe Willis were their, their two high scorers. So um, yeah, that's about right. And, and, you know, transitioning back into the road ahead Wednesday night, again at home against a new England team. That's pretty much head and shoulders, at least in terms of, of points earned on the season ahead of the rest of the league. What, what are you looking for on, on Wednesday night with very likely the same group of guys? Well, I'm hopefully looking for New England to rotate. Yeah. Know Bruce claims he doesn't care about the Supporters' Shield, and he played all his guys tonight, uh, or last night, 
So I think that uh, I, I hope they are sitting Carlos Heel and Gustavo Bo and some of those guys, um, which would help us. Um, we're just going to have to be better, I think, converting on fewer chances, unfortunately. I don't think there's um, a lot we can do with the current players to generate as much as we were generating, let's say, in the last third of the season, um, where we look very bright at times, um, even on the road. Uh, as long as even though we didn't capitalize as much on the road, I think they're just going to have to be more clinical um, to, to steal, uh, you know, some points against New England. Yeah, no, I think rotation is is key uh, if DC United want to have a, a really good shot at this game. But I'll tell you, we've played. It feels like we've played New England uh, an insane amount of times over the past couple seasons. With the, you know the COVID year last year, they they ended up on the schedule more frequently than they typically would be, and. You know, we've played them close this year as well. Um, I, I think, oh, sure, but I, I think the time is kind of ripe with you know if, if if they rotate, like you said, and like is probably fairly likely. DC United could definitely take three points on, on Wednesday. I don't think it's a it's a given uh, by any stretch, but I I think that it's about time we take those three points from New England, and that would really put us back kind of where we want to be right now because you know we talked a little bit yesterday before the match of looking at this the three game week here home to Nashville home to New England away to New York City I think we both agreed you got to get at least four out of that in order to, to kind of keep pace and, and last night did, did not go great uh, outside of DC United in terms of the standings um, so you got one if you can get three uh, on on Wednesday you put yourself in a good position to to exceed potentially expectations by nicking a point in, in New York at the end of the week. Yeah. And I think we'll see. Um, well, yeah, I mean, some of it's just the toughness. I mean, I think it's the, whether the team um, is able to grit out a performance against a team that's probably better than them at most spots. And um, I don't know. I, I feel like there's some action here. I'm going to say, um, I feel like th- there um, we've needed to take advantage of our home matches. We've been so much better at home, and you know yeah. the stats played out. MLS has the biggest road advantage. Um, I mean, road disadvantage or home advantage of any league in the world, and we're going to have to go to that postage stamp at Yankee Stadium, which is just not easy to play on. It'll be Losada's first time managing there even as a pressing team. And I think that is hard. We are hard pressed anytime to get points at Yankee stadium. And so the new England match may actually be a better chance um, to concentrate on. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely agree with you with Lasada's attitude about getting points at home. He was frustrated last night to not get three, even given all the, the situations that the team's dealing with, with injuries and, and rotation and travel and the craziness that the whole league really is dealing with. Although it seems like the injury bugs bit us early this season and just hasn't let up. But looking ahead, another game to that New York City match, I wonder if that tiny field actually suits our non Lasada DC United team better than the previous Ben Olsen ones and potentially even better than an NYCFC team that has barely played at Yankee stadium this year. And that, that's certainly true. That's a point I did about them not playing at home very often, their true home um, that I hadn't thought of. I, I completely agree with you that this, it fits a Losada pressing team much better. I mean, historically as an analog, um, the Jesse Marsh Red Bull teams were great at Yankee stadium. Uh, yeah. And it's because those, the counterpart kind of Patrick Vieira teams would try to play through them and it was just playing right into their hands. And we'll see how they line up um, against us. But if they try to play through us in a tight pitch, yes, you're right. It could, it, it could benefit us, but I just, it's, it's so hard to play soccer, um, you know, up there um, of, of any types. And maybe, you know, maybe it does line up for us to steal a point. Um, they're flailing. I think we're going to learn a lot more about it where they play in the Hudson River Derby today at, well, both their home stadiums, Red Bull Arena. <laughs> um, I believe it's actually a Red Bull home match. And the, the you know the outcome of this match may determine who's really the New York team that's on the outside of the playoffs looking in. Because uh, if Red Bull wins, that puts them even with NYCFC and keeps NYCFC on the way out. Um, so that we could be looking at a desperate NYCFC team come the weekend. Yeah, which which will definitely be interesting. I'm 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 doing a quick tally here. It looks like five, 
This will be their seventh game at Yankee Stadium this season. Um, sorry, eighth game at Yankee Stadium this season. So it, they've got they played more there than I thought. I know there was a lot of banter early in the season about you know the games they're playing at Red Bull Arena and sort of what that looks like, and then of course who brings a bigger crowd of you know in the in the four digits <laughs> at best. But um, yeah, I mean it, it's always a tough place to play, um, and you know not being able to rotate a whole lot is it's gonna make it challenging um as we look around the eastern conference um alluded to you know last night perhaps not going as as well as we'd hoped you know we were at the orlando game dc had a good chance to really solidify themselves kind of in the top three in the east and they've dropped uh four points in the last two games so they're down to sixth right now and it's i can't remember a season when the east has been this tight with this many teams in the loop um you know 10th place columbus is on 37 right now and fourth place orlando is on or actually i guess third place philadelphia is on 46 so nine points are, are separating eight teams nine teams in the east and i think if you look at the standings in the east unlike many mls years a quality team is going to be left out yeah. This year. So either probably DC or Montreal um, or NYCFC, or even it could be Philly or um, I suppose Orlando is still in the mix there, but like those are all quality teams um, that have, that are well-managed and organized um, and have had pretty good years. Um, I think the one exception is Atlanta who had a terrible start to the year and now has looked like they're solidly going to be in. Um, but somebody's going to be on the outside looking in this year that probably had a good season. Um, we can't always say that. Um, and I think in the West, we're not going to say that. I think the last team in is probably going to be, you know, a team that has you know, floundered a bit down the stretch. Um, and it's, you know, an unfortunate outcome that that happens. We happen to be in this conference in a year where, where we need uh, talent and talent and tactics. And we, we unfortunately haven't had both at all times. Yeah, and it's, oh man, not having two DPs on the field at the same time for hardly any measurable minutes this year. It, it, maybe, just maybe, the Stars will align and, and, and they'll come back, both Flores and Ariel, in time for the playoffs and, and maybe get some quality time together and DC United could make a run. Five games left on the schedule for the Black and Red. They're sitting on 41. Knowing all the craziness about the Eastern Conference, what do you think the magic number will end up being to get into the playoffs? I think again, I think it's 47 or 48. I think they need six or seven more points um, from the last five. Um, and I haven't done all the analysis on exactly like the cross. It, yeah. This year is also challenging in the East because while there's this like large segment of teams in the middle that are quality teams, um, again, well managed, well organized, you also have some seriously bad teams at the bottom yeah right i mean toronto and, and cincinnati or and chicago um and even miami really are just they've just been putrid most of the year and so there's a lot of guaranteed points for teams um that maybe there weren't in years past um so who you're playing is going to matter a lot um in, in the schedule i thought we saw last night I don't, you know either orlando nor um you know the orlando nor Atlanta played particularly well last night, but they were playing four teams and they won particularly, you know, somewhat comfortably in the end. Yeah. Yeah. The final three games for DC United are, are, are obviously going to be critical uh, Two two home games in there against the Red Bulls and Columbus, which are two teams right now on the outside looking in um, tough teams. I, I don't think either team is, is, you know, one you want to sleep on, but, good opportunity at home and then the final week of the season they go away to toronto who is as you said one of the worst teams in the league this year never an easy road trip to make but um i i guess you know it's frustrating to have the three games that we have coming right off the international break right now but it does seem like the final three games of the season are, are a little more favorable for dc united and, and hopefully some health comes along with that and, and they can they can make a run right and they that also points to maybe with Lasada and like managing Nahar's minutes and looking at not rushing Ariola back, saying, "Do you just get through this week and get what you can get?" 
And then hopefully in the, the final three, you get the points you need to, to make it in versus pushing them back. I mean, I think he's done a great job managing players in terms of the Losada is not the one pushing them into injury. It's going to get pushed right. an injury on the international break. Um, he likes to get players back at 100% um, before he rolls them out. The question is, how will that line up with how much just pure days we have left in the season? Yeah, well, that's uh, that puts a little bit of a bow on sort of the DC United portion of the show. But before we wrap for for the day, I, I want to talk a little bit about um, the U.S. Men's National Team coming off of a, of a three-game window going into that. I think most people said they had to get at least six points, and they did that uh, with with wins at home against Jamaica and Costa Rica. Dropped some points on the road potentially uh, away to Panama, but the U.S. are in second in in the octagonal on eleven points. Uh, three behind Mexico, who they take on uh, in the next round at home uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, different than the usual Columbus uh, location for that game. Columbus obviously had the, the Costa Rica game uh, this past week. Canada is in third with, with 10 points, and I, I think we're starting to see potentially a little bit of a natural break in, in the table between the three automatic qualifying positions and, and the rest of the group. But if there's one thing that, that I've learned following CONCACAF qualifiers over the years, it's to, <laughs> to to never get too comfortable. So what are your thoughts sort of on on the U.S.'s standing right now um, and, and sort of where where they go from here? I find the U.S. difficult to assess because of a wall. I would agree with most of the pundits that it is they are extremely frustrating because they do not put together even performances match to match, yeah. even as far as playing style. Um, they sometimes seem like they're they've never trained together, and then at other moments, like in the you know the Costa Rica match, they look like they're pinging the ball around for, for thirty minutes, and a lot of that's personnel. Um, I also think we fall in the trap of comparing this teams to previous qualifying cycles, and yeah. this one is very different. We are playing three match windows. We have five substitutes. It is a very very different animal than what we did before. We cannot play in a you know, two-match window. You play your best 11, two matches. Yep. Um, if, you know, pending injuries. Um, you can't do that. The teams that have tried to play their top 11, like Panama and Honduras, have gotten smacked in the third match, Costa Rica, um, because they run out. Their, their, their legs fall apart. And I don't disagree with Burhalter's, um rotation to have guys fresh for the third match and for the home match in this window. It turned like it played out well for him. Um, I do think that five subs, unfortunately does not suit a tinkering manager like Greg Berhalter very well. So yeah. I think he tinkers too much and gets it as, as the guy, the guy to the stuff podcast say a little cute with some of his moves <laughs> and um, knowing that he can quote, correct them and have find his solutions in the second half. And I think we saw that in Panama. There was just probably too many moves and too many people. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really fair. And, you know, looking ahead to this this Mexico match next, obviously it's the biggest one, uh, I think, in, in most people's minds, certainly in my mind, of, of, the, of the fixture set. You know, home against Mexico, you've got to win that game. You know, that that really puts a, a, a flag in the sand that, you know, we're going to go through. If you drop those points... Uh, then it's hard, you know, and, and I think the, the the games remaining for the U.S. Uh, they got some tough away days still. They still have to go to Mexico, uh, but go to it, Costa Rica. they got to go to Costa Rica. That's right. And you know, it's it's a it's a interesting window for the U.S. Then they go away to Jamaica, who have been playing behind closed doors. And I don't know that they've made an official decision for the next game, um, but but that's you know far travel, and and you're still dealing with the 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 Concacaf officiating and and uh playing services down there so even without a crowd that that's a tough away day even though you know jamaica's low in the group but mexico has both the u.s and canada in this window and so it could go several ways you know mexico could win both of those games and, and pretty much start running away with this thing uh they could drop both those games and make it real tight at the top um or it could be the standings could look very much like they do today uh, after this next window which is the only two game match window um of of the of the season of the qualifiers. <laughs> and I'd like to, you know, at the moment, like also take a step back from the analysis to maybe just the spectacle of it with how qualifying sets up this year. And then we won't have to qualify for 2026. And then moving forward after that, we're going to have that 48 team world cup where frankly, the U S is not going to have to struggle to qualify 
right in the future um this is the last of the truly grand u.s mexico qualifiers in the u.s yeah and it's it, i mean pending another fifa change which could happen but um this whole cycle like it's stressful but it's kind of what you love about sports yeah and we may be losing that in the future and so i think i, I hope we can savor it with a with healthy players on both sides and a, you know, and a well-played match uh, because it's really what it's all about. U.S. Mexico is, it's one of the best rivalries in all of sports. I do not think it gets the kind of general credit in the United States outside of the soccer community for how well much it, you know, the best rivalries expand beyond the field, right? The socioeconomic and political factors. And, and that's what U.S. Mexico is. Um, and and so it's always beautiful. And it's not Columbus, but it is Ohio. Yep. And I'm I'm really hoping I'm I'm hoping for that 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 great spectacle like we've seen in the past. Yeah, and and we had two legendary U.S. Mexico games this year already. Um, that the yeah. Nations League final was just out of control. I don't. I yeah, don't, you were there, man. I was. <laughs> I was at the Gold Cup final. Uh, I, I, oh, you were at the Gold Cup final, yeah, which yeah. was also pretty awesome for for slightly different reasons, you know. But um, I. I, I think, like you said, with the spectacle that it is, the stakes, and potentially the last time, I mean, <laughs> you almost wonder if it'll be a nil-nil draw just because we're, we're so hyped for <laughs> for this game. But um, did, or did you manage to land tickets for, for this one? No, I did not. So I, I went to Austin, um, young kid. So I, I, I get to have to space out my travel somewhat to go on the road. And I, I decided when I looked at the away stadiums that, DC was less likely to play in Austin often in the future. Yeah. Whereas I know we'll play in Cincinnati and Columbus every year. Right. So hence I wanted to go see Austin in the new stadium. But and how was that? Um, yeah. It was nice. The stadium's great. It's um the atmosphere was fun because it was one of the few like full stadium pro US atmospheres you'll see in a call. Yeah. Um, great TIFO. Uh the supporters in Austin are very, very active um, and engaged. Um, the stadium sits north of downtown. It's kind of almost like in kind of warehouses and office parks, um, which is a bit odd in some ways. In other ways, most of those warehouses seem to be full of breweries. Perfect. So, and, and it does very well uh, for the for the for the supporters there. I mean, I, I think it's a you know, being as a great city, and and you know, you're always willing to run across live music. Uh, it actually was the beginning of Austin City Limits that this match was leading into. So um, I'm. If we do get away matches in Austin, I would put that on your high on your road trip list. Absolutely, uh, it's a cool trip. Although I will, I will plan to fly. Uh, that, that's probably a too far to <laughs> do oh, yeah. a true road trip, right? Yeah. Um, last question I'll ask about about qualifying uh, for the U.S. You know, there's a segment on Football Americas this week where they were talking about at this point, have we seen enough? Did has U.S. soccer gotten the the scheduling and the venues correct this time around? And Obviously, there's some missing data there. There's a couple games that have not been scheduled yet. Um, if, if I'm doing quick math, El Salvador uh, and Panama home are, are the two remaining matches that we don't have locations for, uh, if I recall. I may be missing one. I, th- I think it's just those two. Um, but we've seen so far this year, you, know, you, you mentioned great pro-U.S. atmosphere in, in Austin. Uh, the Jamaica game was probably the best one to put there. Uh, Canada, maybe the other option you could put there. Any of the Central American countries or, or Mexico obviously would would not be a good choice for for Austin. But so far, you know, what are your thoughts on the on the scheduling that the U.S. Soccer's done in terms of locations and, and where might we see the final couple home games? Yeah, I mean, so I think there's two parts of it. One is size of stadium. I think putting them in these twenty thousand seat soccer stadiums is the right size because you can mostly pre-sell to U.S. fans. Um. Versus any of the teams. I mean, like you're always going to have fans of Mexico and Costa Rica and, you know, El Salvador come to matches. They're passionate. Um, but if you're putting it in a 20,000 seat stadium, it's, I think it's the right size. Um, the, the only I one think, they did not do that on, by the way, was Nashville uh, against Canada. They, right. they got a decent sized crowd there, although it, it still looked kind of empty on TV. Uh, so the, the difference between 20,000 seats at 20,000 fans in Austin and 40,000 or whatever it was in Nashville, Nashville, it felt more intimidating in both Columbus and in Austin yeah. because it's got a roof and everyone's, you know, you're bearing down. 
Um, I thought the I thought the U.S. crowd in Columbus did a great job of carrying the U.S. through that first minute goal they gave up. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I, I feel like it's better in 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 those you know smaller venues. What I would still love to see is when we head into the winter. I want a qualifier in St. Paul and <laughs> Minneapolis and the Twin Cities. I think I, mean, I wish Mexico would have been there. I think that is a great future location for playing Panama or any Central American country. Um, is put it where it's going to be really, really cold um, yeah. because we know, you know, remember the snow match in Denver and obviously the La Guerra Fria in Columbus versus Mexico. Like it affects those players. I um, mean, it's a, it's sure one does. of the true home field advantages we can generate here. Yeah, there's, there are three left. I misspoke earlier. El Salvador, Honduras, and Panama, uh, all home games for the U.S. Uh, January 27th, February 2nd, and March 27th. So so two opportunities there at least against El Salvador and Honduras to do something uh, potentially in in a super cold location. And, and uh, I, I think that would be awesome as well. I don't know that we'll see much uh, on the East Coast for any of these games. I hope they've learned their lesson from uh, yeah. the debacle against Costa Rica four years ago in New Jersey. Um, and, you know, I, I think Audi Fields is a great place to potentially host these games, but with the the opponents that are left, I, I, yeah, I certainly don't want to do see them put this out right Right, exactly. <laughs> Having attended the 2001 qualifier versus Honduras at RFK, that did not go so well. I don't know if you saw, but in the next window, Canada is hosting Mexico and Edmonton. Are they really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, so, you know, Fonzie Davies playing at home and, and, you know, very, very cold weather. That that could be fun. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think that, uh, you know, after the next window, there's there's only a few games left. They, they've, rat, they've rolled through these qualifiers so quickly. Um, and yet we got to wait until next winter for, for the World Cup in Qatar. Uh, before we wrap things up for the show, uh, thanks again so much for for joining us, James. You know, a lot of our listeners may or may not know, but you certainly had a lot to do with helping to get Tried and True off the ground, and so we thank you for that, and and thank you for for joining us today. And um, you know, sorry it's taking so long to get you on, but uh, we appreciate the insight and 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 for being a part of the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, you know, I just love to do it. It's uh, trying to uh, clean up a little bit of what's like in the stands when we talk to each other, but. <laughs> Um, but you know, hopefully again, offer some insight and fun and, and, uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. As we look ahead, we talked ad nauseum about DC United's upcoming fixtures, but Loudoun United lost last night, one nil away to Hartford, who they seemingly play quite yeah, regularly. <laughs> and I don't know that they've beaten Hartford, uh, to date, but they're away to, uh, Red Bulls two on Wednesday and the spirit, uh, we could do a whole episode on the spirit and the, the craziness that's going on in the NWSL. But on the field, the spirit won 2-0 last night against Rain FC. They're in a great position to make the playoffs. And their next match is home versus the Houston Dash on Halloween. And that's an Audi field game. Yeah, and I believe if, if they could even make the playoffs this weekend if Houston um, or North Carolina lose today. Um that team, I caught the second half of the match after I got home from the DC match. And there's a lot about them that are like, you know, screw it. Let's go win the whole damn thing. They're, <laughs> they did a picture before the match, showed up on Twitter where they almost like their team photo was sticking their tongues out, looking Hilarious. silly. And, and they, there seems to be a vibe that they may be bonding around all this trauma, really, is probably the, the correct word Absolutely. for it. And, and they're playing some good soccer. So, you know, great for the spirit. I, you know, I, I would love to, uh, you know, maybe steal a home match at some point in the playoffs because I think it's the a time that many of us in the Washington area could demonstrate, you know, that support and, and passion for keeping that club here and, and putting it in the right hands. Absolutely. No, lots of excitement uh, on the field for them, and, and hopefully things are trending in the right direction off the field, although there's <laughs> plenty of work to be done uh, in order to get things back on track and, and, and where those players and fans deserve. James, I think that's it for this show. Thanks again for for joining us. Our, our next uh, show will probably be Wednesday night. We'll, we'll finalize for sure, uh, and we'll let you know on our social media channels. And there's an outside chance that for the first time in what feels like two months, the whole gang will be back uh, to, to do that show. So <laughs> it's crazy when 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 uh, COVID's sort of on the back burner and we're able to travel and, and live life again. It's all of a sudden hard to get four people together to do a podcast. So <laughs> you guys are the Marion age too. So every all your friends are getting hitched and and <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're tough to pull it together. Weddings, honeymoons, everything. So um, 
but we look forward to to our next show and and thanks again for listening and and being a part of the family here on tried and true the morning after show presented by heineken 0.0